anything that I'm talking about from as it relates to business, it's firsthand experience. And you're looking at a guy, I'm, I'm, living, I'm living proof that the American dream is alive and well. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Steik, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. All right, here we go. Another episode of Stay Paid, man. I'm excited about this guest today, Luke. I don't know about you, but how, how are things going? Uh, well, besides the technical difficulties that <laughs> plagued us before we got on this podcast. We're like, remote. We have no IT support anymore. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, and it's a shame because my background, for those who don't know, I was a software engineer. So I actually, believe it or not, here's a guy that runs a sales and marketing company, started off in computer science, did software engineering for a couple of years, and then ended up here. So it's really shame on me because you think I would be good at this tech stuff. Here's the thing Man. about tech that kills me and I think kills so many people who listen to this. We didn't touch really anything. It was the same as the last time we did the recordings, but yet we have these problems. It's like normally when you don't do anything, you don't expect different results, but you know, it is. Dude, I was just saying the other day, I'm like, I used to be the one that everyone came to when they had computer questions or issues. I know nothing about computers anymore. It is it is so sad, but Hey, we're not going to be talking about computers today. We're going to be yeah, talking about growing God. teams and, and inspiring people because our guest today is an absolute beast. His name is Peter Taunton. He is a pioneer in the fitness industry. His expertise includes building a franchise system, bootstrapping a startup, and rollout strategies, both domestic and international. In 2003, Peter founded Snap Fitness, and today there are 2,500 locations Ooh. in 26 countries, and it did not end from there. We're going to let Peter talk a little bit about his story here, but as the CEO of Lyft Brands, he went on to acquire and found several more brands that together comprise the world's largest wellness franchise organization. Peter has been named Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young, and his companies have consistently earned spots on Entrepreneur 500, Inc. 5000, Top Global, Franchise 500. Peter! Welcome to Stay Paid. Thank you for being here. Hey, you guys. It's it's my pleasure. And you know what? Thank you for that warm introduction. Wow. Right? How yeah, blessed man. am I? <laughs> well, man, we're the blessed ones. I'm really looking forward to this interview. I said right before we came on, selfishly, I said, I'm looking forward to hearing your views on leadership. You know, Josh and I, in our journey here, we have about 215 employees. So nothing like the thousands of franchises that you have to kind of master the art of communication. So I'm really looking forward to hearing kind of your tips and tricks of how to lead people. But if you could just, for the audience that maybe hasn't heard about your journey before, could you give the 30,000 foot view of really what led you to creating everything that you've done up to today? Of course. You know, I think what makes my story so relevant, what the reason people are, I, I guess, uh, and, I, and I'm thankful they're they're intrigued to hear from me is my story is real. And, you know, I don't talk a lot about business theory, anything that I'm talking about from as it relates to business, it's firsthand experience. And you're looking at a guy I'm, I'm living, I'm living proof that the American dream is alive and well, and you met me. If you had met me 50 years ago, I'd been going to a two room schoolhouse, right with my seven brothers and sisters. And, uh, and um, so I had an opportunity, you know, my, my father put me to work at a very young age, because that's what you did when when you in, grew up in a small town. So that was my first foray, foray into working. But um, I, I got introduced to racquetball, which brought which introduced me to the wellness space. It was a sport that that I gravitated very quickly and easily. And 
um, became a professional player, a, a touring pro for 12 years. And that's what really opened my Wait, eyes. Wait, a touring racquetball pro? Yeah, you didn't even know there was such a thing. <laughs> now you guys got to understand. I, I'm 58 years old, so you know you guys. You guys probably weren't even born yet. So, <laughs> yeah, so that was in the, the early 80s, believe it or not. So just p- playing racquetball. That's what that's what put me inside of clubs all over the country. So that's I got awesome. to see firsthand how it was done and how and how people were interacting with members and things of that nature. Long story short, while I was playing racquetball, I I got a call from some from some friends that wanted me to, to turn around a failing health club. And that was, the, that was the window of opportunity that I needed. It was a failing club. It was losing a couple hundred thousand a year. And, and from that experience to, to opening, to taking that club and making it from, from taking it from losing 200,000 to making 250,000 to formalizing a team, that was where a lot of the road rash was learned for me. But I tell you what, I got to take you back 50 years earlier and, and take you back to my dad when he literally had me working for him and selling popcorn in front of his grocery store. Cause that's where some of the life lessons were learned for me. And, and I, and they're still, they're still uh, relevant today. So that is literally a two minutes, 50, 58 years of, uh, of, you know, trials and tribulation, but we can deep dive into as much of it as you'd like. Well, yeah. I mean, talk a little bit about that idea of, of saving that failing club. Like what were some of the things that you recognize that you attribute very early on from that turnaround? Well, that club that happened to be the club that I played at every day. So when I was, when I was a pro, I was in the court, I was in that club four to five hours a day, at least six days a week. So when I was in that club, I got to see firsthand what the management was doing. Also by being a a pro in a very small town, uh, you know, you get to know a lot of people in the community. I knew the owners of the business and there was one day that I was going to move to Orlando, Florida with my identical twin brother. And before I left, I had breakfast with the five owners. And I said, guys, I just feel compelled to tell you, I understand your club is losing money. And this club is never going to make money until you replace the leadership you have in this facility. And they're mm-hmm. looking at me like, what, what are you talking about, Peter? And at the time, guys, I'm like 22 years old, rocking a mullet. I mean, I probably hung on to mine a little longer than I should have, but, but I was just giving it to him real. I said, look, your, your guy, the guy you have, he may have been a great athlete in high school and college, but he doesn't, he doesn't engage the members when they walk in. He doesn't call them by name. He doesn't make rounds around the, around the club, making people feel loved and making them feel special. More importantly, he's not part of the community. He's not, he's just not, he's just not in the game. Right. And then as I'm having breakfast, they all appreciated that. And as I'm leaving breakfast, I said, Hey guys, by the way, if you ever want to turn this thing around, give me a call. Well, I'll be damned about a year and a half later, my phone rang. Right. Mm. So care for what you wish for. But that was the opportunity I needed. That was my break. Now, did you learn that? Did you learn that service from working at your dad's store? Is that what you think? Well, I, I learned the work ethic. Engaging from, the customers. From, yeah, I learned the work ethic from from uh, my fa- my father for sure. Hmm. And then seeing it with with my father, he was just he didn't put himself above anything. And when I when I took the position to turn that club around, one of the things that these owners did, they said, Peter, we're going to pay you sixteen thousand dollars a year, but if you turn this business around, we'll let you buy us out with the profits. So that was my big break. Now, I'm sure they thought it was a complete Hail Mary, but the reality of it is when you come in and you've got the heart of a lion and you've got nowhere to go, there is no plan B. Because let's Mm. face it, you're not making any real money playing racquetball, right? You're really not. You have to have another job. So this- Why does that not surprise me? Right? 
you'd go, you'd play, you know, you'd make a thousand, two thousand on a weekend, but you had to win. Okay. You had to win. Okay. You had to be in the money. So it's not, it's hard to do that every weekend. So it, it, at any rate, they, uh, you know, I, I get my big break. Well, these guys probably thought it was a Hail Mary that I was, I probably had no chance of turning around, but I did. In fact, one of the first days that I was there, um, I asked the owners, Hey, well, what's my marketing budget? What do I have to work with? And they said, Peter, maybe you didn't hear us. This club loses 200,000 a year. We have no money. We have no budget. Ooh. So for me, you could do one of two things. You can, you can either get in the fetal position under your desk or you can say you try to get innovative. So what I did is I went out in the community. I remember going to a carpet store and I said, Hey, look, I don't, I need carpet, but I don't have any money, but I have memberships. So I bartered with them. And, and to my surprise, one of the carpet stores says, okay. So pretty soon I start laying carpet and I didn't, I didn't just lay it hodgepodge all over the club. I started at the front door and I worked my way out the back door because when people walked into my club, I wanted those members to know that things were changing. They may change mm. at a slow pace, but every nickel that I had, every time that I could barter, I put it back into the club. And that was, that was, that was consistent for carpet, for paint, for furniture, for flower, I mean, for plants. So I did it. Well, Oh, I mean, the, the rest is history. In five years, I took that club from losing 200 to making 250. Now, the other change was the leadership side of it, which I know you guys are interested in. The second day I was there, I had a staff meeting. I said, hey, everybody, tomorrow, I want everybody to come in cleaning clothes. I had about 50 employees. Keep in mind, I'm 22. I'm the youngest employee of the, of the company that I was running. Okay. Wow. The youngest. So... I'm 22. I said to everybody, come, come tomorrow. We're going to clean. This club needs a deep cleaning. It's a pigsty, right? So I get there in the morning about eight o'clock and I'm going to start dividing and conquering, breaking people into groups, right? Before I get started, this lady steps forward. And she says, Hey, Peter, um, I got something I want to, I just want to share with you. And I said, by all means, lady's name was Barb. I said, by all means, Barb, what, what's on your mind? She says, uh, we don't clean. So mm -hmm. that's a, that's a really, that's a, that's a pivotal moment for me right there. I'm day two on the job. I've never run a company before in my life. So I could have said, hey, Barb, you know what? That's a great point. Anyone who doesn't want to clean, go ahead. Thanks for, thanks, thanks for coming. You don't want to clean, go ahead and hit the road. Those of you that will. I said, I, rather than saying that, I turned around and I said, hey, Barb, you also don't have a job. And I pointed to the door. Now, <laughs> I tell you what, that was a shot across the bow. You could have heard a pin drop there, right? But I tell you what, everybody knew and then, and, and she ended up staying by the way. And, but everybody knew there that I wasn't there to play. Okay. And, and I told them, Hey, look, this is the last day of being average to, from this point forward, we are going to do. And I said, I will lead by example. So I got in there and I was cleaning with the best of them. And in, in fact, my, I took the toilets. So I didn't put from me. You went all in. <laughs> I, got, I got all in because I wanted them to know, hey, look, I'm, I'm not one of those guys. I will be in the trenches with you. But I said, I taught, I taught them about customer engagement, greeting people when they come, just making an effort. And even when we're walking around the club with a spray bottle, wiping down things and whatnot, interacting with the members and, and, and being present with the members. So that's why the community got behind me. I mean, it, did, it took more than just strong leadership and direction. It took really a team effort by being part of the community and the, 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 the members, it didn't take the community long to figure out that, Hey, look, who is this guy? Number one, but he is, man, he's in the parades. He's walking around to every business in town, handing out free passes because I subscribe to the logic. Sure. If I can't get you in my club, I don't have an opportunity to sell.
Hmm. So that's how I grew that club. And once I got to having 51% ownership in that business, one of my members was a banker, a local banker in town. I got a loan from him to buy out the owners. And then I kind of refinanced it to give myself a little more breathing room. And then I was off to the races. I mean, then I really started remodeling the facility and, and, and I just sped up the process of how quickly I was, I was turning the club around. And, and, and then I was fearless. When you start with nothing, you're fearless, right? Because you know what the bottom's like because you live there, right? Mm. So for me- I love that. That's so good. Right. So I was fearless. And, and I remember going back to the bank. I had my note paid halfway down. And I went back to him. I said, I'd like a loan. He says, what, what, we just gave you a loan four years ago. And I said, I know, but I want to build another club. And he's like, you're crazy. And I, I don't know. There's another town up the road that could use one of these. Well, I did that seven times with them. And I did it for 20 years, right? So when I was about 40 years old, I, I had seven clubs. I sold those clubs. They were called America's Fitness Centers. I sold them. So now I'm sitting back. I had a you know a few million dollars in the bank. I'm feeling pretty good about myself, and uh, and I was ready for my next thing, which ended up becoming Snap Fitness. Oh my gosh! Okay, so we got to get to the story of Snap Fitness, but I just got to point out. I mean, there are so many freaking good principles in there, right? Of of leadership, entrepreneurship. You know, one is like just you have to have that Cortez mentality. You have to burn the ships. But what I really want to point out is this idea of the standards. And your willingness at 22, the youngest person, to say you're going to fire that person. I mean, I'll tell you something I've learned on my journey. It's been the same. It's that leadership is not about being soft and catering to everybody, though there's a lot of you know times you have to be there and inspire people. And I should say it's not even soft. It's about inspiration. I think a lot of people think leadership is just about inspiration. But yeah. a lot of times it is about holding the line when no one else believes. When no one else believes, you hold the line, you hold the standard, and in that, you actually inspire them more than you would if you just tried to give a motivational speech. So I think that is absolutely amazing. All right, so talk to us. You you sell American Fitness, seven clubs. You have a couple million in the bank. Then you start this huge franchise business of Snap Fitness. Walk us through that a little bit. So I had a, one of my employees who was a great guy I hired him. I hired him. I, t- I plucked him right out of college. Okay. The town I was in had a little community college. I pulled him right out of there. He didn't like school, but he had huge energy. Right. And I said, why don't you come and work with me? Well, that guy ended up working with me for 12 years and he's the kind of guy, you know, I'm, I'm big on loyalty. Right. And he was the kind of guy, if a hand grenade came in the room, he'd dive on it for me. I mean, he was that loyal. Well, when I, when I exited, when I sold all of my clubs, I set him up with a great employment package, but the culture of the business changed dramatically. About six months after I had sold the company, he calls me and he says, hey, Peter, I can't stand working for these guys. And I said, look, just give it some time. You know, you just got there, but you got a great comp plan, this and that. He goes, no, you know, he took the high road. He goes, no, I'm not, I mean, if I can't be happy, there's no money that can keep me here, blah, blah, blah. He goes, would you build me a club? Would you, would you just please build me a club? Now, I've, I, I told him no six times. And every time I told him no, my heart would burn, right? So one day I'm just thinking about it. I said, well, what if I built a club, but what if I, what if it didn't have a swimming pool? What if I took out the racquetball course? So I just started cherry picking these things out of the, out of the business. And before I knew it, I had a club that was like four or 5,000 square feet. And it just had a lot of diversity in cardio strength and free weights. So everything you and I would need to get fit, we did. And I made it 24 hours. You belong to one, you belong to them all. And when people would come in and say, Hey, do you offer aerobic classes? 
I would say, no, I don't offer aerobics, but I also don't hold you to a schedule. And I said, you can come in here and do a different piece of cardio every day of the week. So I've got diversity in what I offer. There's no, we never close. And then I said, by the way, my, my coup d'etat in that space at the time when I launched it was no contract. Every mm. other club was doing contracts. And I said, hey, look, so once again, when I went to market, I didn't want to be another me too. I wanted to be different. And I wanted to resonate with the people, right? The commoners. So, because mm. I had a $35 membership. If you wanted the $200 plan with swimming pools and climbing walls, <laughs> I'm not your jam, right? But if you, want, if you want to get in, get out, and get on with your life, I'm your answer. But I told the people, hey, look, I've got the best equipment in here money can buy. There's certain, certain amenities that I don't have, and that's by choice. So your membership is $35 a month. It's month to month. It's month to month. And I tell you what, if I don't earn your business, if I, if I don't deliver on my promise to you, you just quit, right? Mm. So I put, it, I put it right back on them. I said, give me a shot for 30 days. Now, keep in mind, over 90% of my members lived within two miles of my club because, I, because by having a smaller footprint, I could put it in that neighborhood strip center. It was me, Starbucks, Subway, right? I mean, how? I was just going to say the Starbucks of fitness centers, right? I got it. <laughs> Everywhere. I, I always say I brought fitness to the doorsteps of America, right? Yeah. I literally Dude. became a mile. Most of my members were within a mile or two of my club. And they drive past me on the way to work, on the way home from work. I tell you what, when you make it convenient, people use it more. When they use it more, the value is there and they don't quit. Well, you, you created a whole new product. I mean, you create an entire industry by that concept of finding what, what would differentiate you from the other clubs. So at what point did you decide to take it to the next level and go with this franchise model? And what the heck were some of the challenges and struggles building that? Well, you know what? I built When I built the first club, I sold enough memberships in 90 days to, to cash flow it for the year. 90 days. Okay? Wow. Instead of having 50 employees, I needed two. So my overhead was falling off a cliff. I mean, it was just not there. So then, and that was in an urban market. So my, the guy that I, the, my guy that I loved, right, that I set him up. And then I said, hey, look, I'm going to do another one, right? He goes, yeah, let's do it, right? So I built another one in, in a mid-sized market. It performed the same way. And then I said, okay, here comes number three. And he's like, what the hell, Pedro? What are we doing? <laughs> so, but so we did, I did number three, but I put it in a town of 3,500 people. And I said, I'm going to lose money here, but I needed to know how small, small could be. Because at that time I said, if it works in this small town, then it works in small town, mid-sized town, urban markets. I can roll this thing out, man. I can. Mm. And when I put, I put in that town of 3,500 people and I always tell people, it's not what you take in the front door. It's what you take out the back door. And there's a lot of truth in that. A lot of people think you can't make money in these small markets. And I'm telling you, you can absolutely kill it in these markets because the unit level economics are there. So I put it in that small town, 3,500 people. It, it took off like a, like a rocket. And then I said, look, from there, you know, if I'm going to give myself credit, I give myself credit when I, when I decided that I was going to start a franchise. I didn't cut corners. I had some of the best franchise attorneys in the country. I drafted it ironclad because, you know, I always say, think small, be small. So I've always been a grandiose thinker. And I said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. Now, if you had asked me then, if I thought I'd have a thousand stores, no. Okay. I would have told you, I doubt it, but I would have told you I'm certainly capable of doing it. I've mm. just always tried to be really humble with what I'm doing and let, let, let my, let my performance speak for itself. And Anyway, the, these clubs, I started selling franchises. And, uh, you know, when I, when I was doing six, six, the first year, I think I opened 12 clubs. 
which I thought, well, this is a nice steady start. I still wasn't making any real money, but, but it was certainly trending the right way. The next year I was, I did 60 clubs. So that's five clubs a month, right? So now I'm a real detail guy and I, I've just put systems and processes in place. So I had everything in place and I was doing five clubs a month. Well, the next year I did 200 clubs. Same thing. I had the same process. I just put more resources in each channel and I would tell people, Hey, look, stay in your lane. And everybody understands that mindset. It's just like a football team. I, I always position myself as the head coach and I tell people, Hey, look, you know what? Do your job, focus on your job. Don't focus on everyone else's job, focus on what you're doing. So yeah. I was able to keep people in their lane and guys, what's amazing is five years later, one year I opened 377 stores in one year. That's opening more than one new rooftop a day. That's every, nuts. Every oh day, every day there was a new store opening, right? That's kind of, it's kind hey, of, you're, you're a psycho Pete. <laughs> I still laugh about psycho it. Pete. It's kind of funny, right? I mean, every, I remember, um, Cybex, I was sitting down with the owner of Cybex at the time and he's looking at me at the time I had like, you know, 70 stores. I had some momentum, but, my momentum, you know, what was, what was on the, the light at the end of the tunnel for me was a train because it was a, it was a, it was a tsunami of clubs opening, right. That I, that I didn't know, but he said, Hey, what would you, what do you want to do to this? And I said, I mean, for me, my dream would be to open a store every day. Relationships are the key to success. Right now, everyone in your database knows three to five people who need what you sell. So how do you get those valuable referrals? by connecting consistently and meaningfully. American Lifestyle Magazine is a high quality, 48 page publication branded to you and full of amazing content your recipients will love. It helps you stay connected with your clients and sphere, keeping you top of mind for referrals. Wanna see how it works? Get your free sample of American Lifestyle Magazine at remindermedia.com slash staypaidsample. That's remindermedia.com slash staypaidsample. And he looked at me like, who is this guy, right? But I ended up doing it. So hmm. he, he called me back to the carpet on that at one of their conventions. And he said, hey, look, and he shared the story of he and I sitting down and I told him that. And I mean, it's good, but I, you know, I wanna preface all of that by, you know, it was a great run, great company, built a huge business, but let's face it. I mean, I, I surround myself with some great people as well. All right. I, I always say I, I was able to stand on the shoulders of some amazing people that were that were that were loyal and they yeah. were coachable and they stayed in their lane. And that and that's what made our company great. I was going to ask you that kind of on the point of scaling that quickly. You know, obviously, this, there's the operational piece, but you have to have the people. You have to have someone there that can help maintain the standards that you've established and scale at that pace. So how do you find those people how do you retain those people like if you're building a team like that talk a little bit about that experience you know what I'm always looking for great people and I and I and I even to this day when I see winners you can see winners a mile away I remember one time I was at a marina I was at a marina in, in my boat right and and every time every time I would gas up and whatnot there was this one guy there and he was running the marina but he was just so assertive. He had the respect of everyone around him. He was a great, he had attention to detail, everything. And, and one day after, after I'd been going there for about a year and a half, I, I said to the guy, guy's name was Tyler. I said, hey, Tyler, and if you ever want to get out of here, you know, I'm, not, I'm not here to take you from your job, but if you ever were interested in other opportunities, I'd love the opportunity to work with you. I left it that, just like that, right? Mm. I did. 
and I, and I, I, in fact, I didn't even give him a card. I gave him my number and, uh, you know, literally, you know, a week later he calls me. Yeah. I kicked it around. Yeah. I'm interested. Right. So I ended up hiring him and, you know, once again, he had never, he'd never been in the franchise space at all. Didn't matter. He kept himself in great shape, but that's not a prerequisite because I can get you in shape. Right. But what I can't, what's hard to teach is discipline. What's hard to teach is discipline and setting the bar. I always say anyone can be an all-star if you set the bar at your ankles, right? So I like people who set the bar high <laughs> and, they, so and they dump it. You know what That's I mean? That's the quote for this podcast. Yeah, right there. seriously. Anybody <laughs> can set the bar high if you set it at your ankles. That no, is anyone, so good. Anyone can be – we're get right, Luke. Anyone can be an all-star if you set the bar at your ankles. That's so good. <laughs> So true though, right? It is, man. It is. It's the, it's the level of standards. So one of the things you look for in winners is discipline. You talked about staying in your lane. I, I want to go back to that just for a second of, you know, what does that look like in terms of like, is that a technical, like if you're the marketer, you stay in the marketing. If you like, what does that look like? Or is it a mindset? Yeah, well, it's, it's for so a lot of people are really visual learners, right? So I tell, look, there's a time in business for collaboration. And when you're going to have collaboration, you know, collaboration sometimes can be window dressing and that's okay. Meaning you get, you bring departments in that aren't even really part of it. And if you're, if you're small enough and you're a growth company, meaning you're, you're on a rocket ship, believe me, you want everyone, you want every department head in the room, whether they get a vote or not, because they want to feel informed. They don't want to hear it at the water cooler. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm always like, man, because you know what? I loved everyone in my in my company. Um, these guys would go to bat for me. They would go to war with me any day because I loved them and I respect them. I would I became friends with many of them. I, I never had a problem separating church and state. Some of them I'd co-sign for their homes, co-sign for their first brand new cars because I, we had this sense of loyalty and we were on a company that was just thriving. So getting everyone collaboration, one thing, and then, and then making sure that when we break, that everyone is going back into their lane because I can't, I can't do the job of the person next to me and, and his, and then the job next to him pretty soon. You're like a dog, dog chasing your tail. Right. Mm. And even from that perspective, when people screw up and they will, I don't, I don't tire and feather them. You know, what would drive my people crazy is when I bring everyone in the boardroom and we're trying to resolve an issue or, or we under deliver. Okay. They would hate it when I would say, you know what guys, I guess we're just average. We're not as good as we think we are. What an evil, but genius thing to do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know what? I love that kind of passion. I love that kind of passion when I leave the room and go get a cup of coffee strategically. And these guys are in there going, Hey, everybody, let's go, you know? So, you know, this, it's, so it's, it's great when you have that kind of energy in an office. I mean, you can really do some big things and amazing things. So what's, what's going on today, Peter? I mean, you're, you're blowing up on social media. You got almost a half a million followers on Instagram. Like, what are you doing today? What's, what's next? I just Obviously you're still sitting on the board with, you know, Lyft brands and all that. I'm still on board with Lyft. And you know what, along the ride, um, you know, that company, I founded it 15 years ago. And along that way, you know, I've had a couple of different exits. So, and that's another thing that I talk about. What got me into social media was it it was just, there was, there was a lot of nonsense in social media, a lot of fake bullshit, if you will. Right. And meaning, you know, that, it's a lot of that window dressing. Fanning $100 bills, standing in front of jets they don't own and cars they don't own and saying, yep. give, me, give me 30 a month and I'll make you rich. So, 
you know, that was bothering me a little bit. So I think what people liked, I'm kind of a watered down version of Gary V a little bit. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a self-made guy and I tell, I give it to people real. And I think people love that. They love my candor and they love the fact that, that my stories are real. They're real life situations. And um, so, you know, that, that's the one side of why I got into social media. Um, the other diversity, I've, I've, I own a lot of real estate, apartments and th apartment buildings, things like that. Uh, one of my passions, I own a camp, a luxury camp in the Serengeti. It's a five-star lodge. I love it. I, it's, it's, um, dude, that's awesome. It's so fun. You guys, I mean, it's so beautiful. If you've never, right, that's the new guys, goal, Luke. Yeah, seriously. We're going to the Serengeti, goal. man. Yeah, if you guys awesome. ever, if you guys want to take, I don't, know, I don't know if you cats are married or girlfriends or whatnot, but you guys ever want to get an escape to really get off the grid, uh, you know, give, give me a, give me a, reach out to me offline, but you know, I've got the hookup. Mm. I've got a, a five-star lodge in the Serengeti. It sits on 30,000 acres uh, in this concession area. Literally, I've got lions and elephants drinking out of my swimming pool out there. So it's it's pretty cool. That is amazing. amazing. Uh, talk about blowing up on Instagram, man. <laughs> that take no, away no tigers, though. We'll make a Netflix yeah. show out of you. Yeah. No tigers. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I have to ask you, Peter, like, because you have so much experience. You, you've built so many brands and everything is – you know, what, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs today starting out, right? Because there's a lot of entrepreneurs. We have a lot of um, real estate agents that listen to this, insurance agents, financial advisors. They're running their own small business. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs? Well, when I do, I do a lot of consulting right now, and, and probably what I see that's most prevalent is business plans that are not thought all the way through. I mean, to me, a full business plan is all the way from, you know, the vision of it, and then, and then the execution of it. And then the last part of it is what's your exit strategy, okay? Because if you create, if you create a business and you're essentially the business, you have no exit because when you leave the business, the business dries up, right? So I, I talk about those things and creating redundancies. And, and then I talk to them about the, the exit strategies of how do you, how do you maximize um, profitability on your exit where you get paid and then creative ways to do it. So, you know, I talk about, you know, being, having a well thought out plan, number one, but number two, patience. Number three is just don't be afraid to fail. I always say, you know, fear, fear and failure run hand in hand. I mean, most people that have fear, the big, the greatest fear they have is the fear of failure reality. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I can tell you what I've, you know, over the years, I've probably got 50 friends that have made some, some significant money north of 50 million. And, uh, and w when we sit around and, and we're talking, every one of us has got stories about, you know, trials and tribulations and, 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 and complete failures, complete debacle failures. And it's, we're never afraid to fail, but when we do fail, we, we acknowledge and we take a deep dive into why it failed and we try not to repeat them. So when you fail, fail early, understand why you did and then press forward but you know never quit right mm. never quit and uh you know being an entrepreneur it's not for the faint of heart you alluded to it a little bit earlier luke you know what um being an entrepreneur you got to make those tough calls and and that's not always easy to do sometimes you've got to let people go sometimes you've got to pivot and you've got to you've got to adjust and you know you can't sometimes you have to pivot and move in a set, different direction which requires less people and, and, and don't be a fool, you know, don't, don't be shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic, right? I mean, you got to pivot and, and make moves and, and get, and get liftoff again. That's part of being an entrepreneur. Now nah, that's so good. It's funny. There's a natural tension that comes in. Like I tell people all the time that it's like, you can't be afraid to fail 
which means you have to have utter confidence and just willingness to step forward out in faith and not care what people think and all this good stuff. But at the same time, you've got to be willing to analyze yourself and self-reflect and figure out why you fail. So a lot of times people who have the gifting of being oblivious, like I don't care what people think and they go forward, they'll never self-reflect. And so that entrepreneur has to have that successful, has to be willing to do both. It's like you have to not care what people think, but you have to self-reflect and care what people think to see how you can get better. Yeah. You know what, Luke, that you're right on point. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a great point to make that, you know, I think every entrepreneur who's done great things and had, you know, unbelievable uh, financial success, they've been able to lead and lead not with an iron fist, but lead with authority, right? And, and, uh, and lead with passion, have compassion for the people that are around them and respect. And, and then, you know, bring people along the way, you know, empower people, mentor people, make them great. And, and with my company, I, I, I had so many people that started at entry level jobs and they had been with me for, you know, 10, 12, 13 years. I mean, just super long runs and, uh, and they loved the experience that they had. And they, and they, and they, we talked about it all the time that, they had a front row seat to the American dream. It's very, it's what a blessing to be able to sit back and, and see an idea and watch the idea become, be converted to execution, but not just executed at a little level, build one of the largest wellness brands in the world to sit mm. and watch this transition in literally, I mean, the company's 15 years old now, but it, it was one of the largest wellness brands at like year 11, right? Jeez. It was just explosive growth. And when you walked into our global headquarters, there's not, not people running around there with their hair on fire, right? It's everybody's calm and collective. And, and that was another one of my leadership styles. I said, hey, look, guys, I don't want to hear any yelling and screaming in here. If, if anyone's going to lose their cool in here, it's going to be me. Um, and, and whenever I did, and I didn't do it very often, it was only because we, we failed. We failed to deliver on our promise. Mm. You know what? We left. And, so, you know, like a franchisee fell through the cracks. I never liked that term falling through the cracks. That's bullshit. That's just sloppy work is what mm. that is. I mean, so I would call that stuff out. No, that's sloppy. That's sloppy. And we're better than that because our negligence was at the cost of one of our franchisees and that's not good. So, you know, it's, it, it, that's just the, the way that I rolled and people understood that I, I rolled like that with my employees. I would, I would go to battle for them all the time, not even in the office, but in their personal lives as well. And then the same goes for, um, you know, the opportunities that resided within my four walls. It was, yeah. it was absolutely unbelievable. Well, they, I mean, they loved you. I mean, there, there's, they say that like people don't leave jobs, right? They leave managers, they leave leaders, right? And so it's clear that like you were able to build those relationships with those people for that long because of your leadership. So I want to ask you, because we ask everybody this, but like, you seem like a super, a super purposeful guy. So we talk about like daily habits on this show, right? What are some daily habits that you have, a few that have driven your success, that continue to drive your success today? I, you know, honestly, since I've been maybe 12 years old, 13 years old, I have a to-do list every day. And to this day, wow, I have a to-do list that I create a to-do list every day. And whatever doesn't get done that day, I push it forward to the next day. And if I'm still looking at it in four or five days, I, I evaluate and wonder if it's something that I really need to do. And sometimes I just 86 them off of there if, I'm, if, they're, not, if they're not important. So having a to-do list so I don't, I don't just float through the day and, and kind of think of things willy-nilly. 
Um, that's one thing. The other part of it is taking care of myself. You know what? I, I work out about six or seven days a week, but my workouts are 45 minutes, but they're really intense. And it's, it's something that I've been doing since the first time I picked up a racquetball racket. So I started exercising when I was 13 and believe it or not, I, you know, I literally, I work out six or seven days a week and I've been doing it for. So do you have a home gym during the quarantine or do you have like extra exclusive access to one of these? You know what? I was at a, I was in, I have a, I live in, I'm a Florida, I'm a Florida resident. I'm at my lake home here in Minnesota now, but at, in my residence in Florida, they're, 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 they shut the gym down. So I was doing like what I was calling my jail cell workout, which is, you know, push-ups. <laughs> it, was, it was the worst. Luke's been uh, doing those. He's been doing how many push-ups every they, hour, Luke? So I'm doing 35 push-ups an hour. And then I've done these mountain climbers. I'm adding the mountain climbers now. Right on. Between. The mountain climbers. Nice. It's, it's amazing. You end up at the end of the day doing a couple hundred push-ups and you're like, yeah. hey. You know, it wasn't no, that much that's time. Good. So what are people thinking when you drop down and do, rip off 35? Like, it's hey, funny. Just, yeah. <laughs> a guy in the office just walked by earlier and saw me in the middle of the sales floor. He's one of the only other people here because everybody's working from <laughs> home. And he just stops and looks at me. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, hey, man, I got to I got to keep this muscle going a little bit, you know? <laughs> right. You don't want to, right. You don't want it to atrophy. Yeah, I can't. I can't let it lose. No. All right, Peter. Last question for you, man. Because want to know what advice would you go back and give your younger self? Like, you know, Peter in high school. What what advice would you give that kid? Well, well, you know, knowing what I know now, um, I would tell myself, and I get asked this question a lot. You know, what would I have done di- differently? And and th- this would this is what I would have told myself. I would have said, Pedro, you you know, it's good that you're working hard and that you're focused but you know take the time to dance a little bit right mm. and I, I i hear that all the time people say peter you know what would you done differently and i always say i wish i would have danced more and i say that figuratively meaning that you know running a company it is a huge commitment a huge sacrifice and the more that you own it if you're the kind of guy if you're if you're kind of a boy what's what's the way to if you're a little bit of a cowboy meaning that you don't mind taking everybody on your shoulders a little bit you own everything you know what i mean you own the livelihood of those families that are working for you so for me knowing that and and i don't know that i would have gotten to here i mean when i think when i when i think you guys about how the hell did i get from that two-room schoolhouse with my twin brother and my next oldest brother and my three sisters across the hall, how did I get from that to private jets and yachts and a penthouse in Miami and a $10 million lake home? How did I get here? I mm. ask myself that all the time, right? I, I think that's why I say early on, the first question, first question you asked me, I said, how blessed am I, mm. right? I mean, so I keep, I, I stay humble. I love people and I love passion and I love, uh, you know, if I can give people a, you know, a, a, a a roadmap to their, their financial journey. And those are things that I do, but, but to your question, what would I have done differently? I would have, I would have danced a little bit more maybe mm, but yeah. no regrets, yeah. man. It is what it is. And I'm, and I'm blessed and I'm so thankful. Right. What a great story. That. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing all of that with us before we close out here, Peter, let people know how they can connect with you. I keep, I make it really easy. So it's you're really my Instagram, which is Peter underscore Taunton, T A U N T O N. And that from there, I, I push it to my uh, my YouTube channel and my and Facebook. But if you just follow me on Instagram, that's where I go. And and one other point about my Instagram, my posts are typically motivational or or um, consulting, more entrepreneurial. But my story 
I personally think the story is more interesting. I'm biased only because the story is me living my life, right? Mm -hmm. The story is me because, you know, business is business and that it all kind of looks the same, but the stories are, you know, that's me in the hood of Miami, you know, horsing around with the homeless or out in my boat or hanging with my friends. That's where you get a real glimpse of how do I roll when, when, uh, you know, when it's just me hanging out, like if I'm hanging out with you cats. Yeah. That's well, that's awesome. the authenticity everyone's looking for. That's the, I mean, watching your videos, you can feel it. I mean, talking to you today, I mean, you can feel it. You can feel the connection. That's because you're coming through authentic. So thanks again for being here. And thank you so much for listening to dive deeper into this episode and uh, get this video. You can head on over to staypaidpodcast.com. We're going to throw the show notes in there as well. And if you're interested in supporting the show, there's only two ways that we ask you to do that. And it doesn't cost a dime. First way is to rate us on uh, iTunes. Our featured review for this episode. Here we go. This comes from the unknown reviewer via Apple Podcasts. The title is These Guys Care, Five Stars. He or she says, I'm new to this podcast, but I love the energy and passion of these guys. They provide great insights. Thanks so much for sending in that review. Make sure to leave a comment when leaving a review on iTunes. And the best way to help the show is to tell a friend about this. Guys, you have someone you know that needs to hear this episode. They need to hear from Peter today. Share this episode with that person. You're thinking of him right now. Don't delay. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at ReminderMedia.com. And, of course, you can find us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. And I'm Luke Acre, guys. And I have to tell you that it's like I listen a lot of our episodes here. It's like some of the episodes just really I just have to sit back and listen. I get inspired listening like i feel honored and privileged to be able to even interview people like you peter so i appreciate you coming on i think the action item for everybody here is this idea if you think small you're going to be small and what are your standards what are the standards that you have for your life and the standards of what you're trying to achieve and you think about that everybody can be an all-star if you set the bar at your ankles so, I mean, you think about that, and I just would challenge everybody who's listening to this podcast right now, what are your standards? What are your standards? How big are you thinking? Because you'll only go as high as those standards. Remember this, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in every single industry that Josh and I have worked in is top producers take action. Take action on that today. 